0: CHAPTER THIRTEEN OF UNKNOWN TO HISTORY BY CHARLOTTE MARY YOUNG. THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY Tonika, MADISON, ALABAMA. BEADS AND BRACELETS The Countess was by no means pacified by the investigation, and both she and her family remained at court, maligning her husband and his captive. As the season advanced, bringing the time for the Queen's annual resort to the waters of Buxton, Lord Shrewsbury was obliged to entreat Mrs. Talbot again to be her companion, declaring that he had never known so much peace as with that lady in the Queen's chambers. The journey to Buxton was always the great holiday of the imprisoned court. The place was part of the Shrewsbury property, and the Earl had a great house there, but there were no conveniences for exercising so strict a watch as at Sheffield, and there was altogether a relaxation of discipline. Exercise was considered an essential part of the treatment, and recreations were there provided. Cis had heard so much of the charms of the expedition, that she was enraptured to hear that she was to share it, together with Mrs. Talbot. The only drawback was that Humphrey had promised to come home after this present voyage, to see whether his little Cis were ready for him, and his father was much disposed to remain at home, receive him first, and communicate to him the obstacles in the way of wedding the young lady however my lord refused to dispense with the attendance of his most trustworthy kinsman and leaving ned at school under charge of the learned Sniggius, the elder and the younger richard talbot rode forth with the retinue of the queen and her warder neither Cicily nor Dickon had ever left home before and they were in raptures which would have made any journey delightful to them far more arrived through some of the wildest and loveliest glades that england can display nay it may be that they would have better enjoyed something less like sheffield park than the rocks glens and woods through which they rode their real delight was in the towns and villages at which there was a halt and every traveller they saw was such a wonder to them that at the end of the first day they were almost as full of exaltation in their experiences as if with humphrey they had been far on the way to america the delight of sleeping at tideswell was in their eyes extreme the hostel was so crowded that sis had to share a mattress with mrs talbot and dickon had to sleep in his cloak on the floor which he persuaded himself was high preferment he woke however much sooner than was his wont and finding it useless to try to fall asleep again he made his way out among the sleeping figures on the floor and hall and finding the fountain in the midst of a court produced his soap and comb from his pocket and made his morning toilet in the open air with considerable satisfaction at his own alertness Presently there was a tap at the window above, and he saw Cicely making signals to him to wait for her, and in a few minutes she skipped out from the door into the sunlight of the early summer morning. "'No one is awake yet,' she said. "'Even the guard before the Queen's door is fast asleep. I only heard a winch or two stirring. We can have a run in the fields and gather May dew before anyone is afoot.' "'Tis not May, tis June,' said matter-of-fact Dickon. "'But yonder is a guard at the yard gate.' "'Will he let us pass?' "'See, here is a little wicket into a garden of pot-herbs,' said Sis. "'No doubt we can get out that way, and it will bring us the sooner into the fields. "'I have a cake in my wallet that mother gave me for the journey, so we shall not fast. "'How sweet the herbs smell in the dew! "'And see how silvery it lies in the strawberry-leaves! "'Ah, thou naughty lad, think not whether the fruit be ripe! "'Mayhap we shall find some wild ones beyond!' The gate of the garden was likewise guarded, but by a yeoman who well knew the young Talbots, and made no difficulty about letting them out into the broken ground beyond the garden, sloping up into a little hill. Up bounded the boy and girl, like young mountaineers, through gorse and fern, and presently had gained a sufficient height to look over the country, marking the valleys whence still were rising fragrant clouds of dewy steam, under the influence of the sunbeams, gazing up at the purple heights of the peak, where a few lines of snow still lingered in the crevasses, trying to track their past journey from their own Sheffield, and with still more interest to guess which wooded valley before them contained Buxton. "'Have you lost your way, my pretty mistress?' said a voice close to them, and turning round hastily they saw a peasant woman with a large basket on her arm. "'No,' said Cicely courteously, "'we have only come out to take the air before breakfast.' "'I crave pardon,' said the woman, curtseying. "'The pretty lady belongs to the great folks down yonder. "'Would she look at my poor wares? "'Here are beads and trinkets of the goodly stones, "'pins and collars, bracelets and ear-drops, "'white, yellow and purple,' she said, uncovering her basket, "'where were arranged various ornaments made of Derbyshire spar. "'We have no money, good woman.' said Cicely, rising to return, vaguely uncomfortable at the woman's eye, which awoke some remembrance of Tibbet the huckster, and the troubles connected with her. "'Yea, but if my young mistress would only bring me in to the great lady there, I know she would buy of me my beads and bracelets, or give me an alms for my poor children. I have five of them, good young lady.' and they lie naked and hungry till I can sell my few poor wares, and the yeomen are so rough and hard, they would break and trample every poor bead I have in pieces, rather than even let my lord hear of them. But if even the basket would be carried in and shown, and if the good earl heard my sad tale, I am sure he would give license. He never does, "'said Dickon, roughly. "'Hold off, woman! "'Do not hang on us, "'or I'll get thee branded for a vagabond.' "'The woman put her knuckles into her eyes, "'and wailed out that it was all for her poor children, "'and Cicely reproved him for his roughness, "'and as the woman kept close behind them, "'wailing, moaning, and persuading, "'the boy and girl were wrought upon at last "'to give her leave to wait outside the gate of the inn-garden, "'while they saw whether it was possible "'to admit her or her basket.' But before they reached the gate, they saw a figure beyond it, scanning the hill eagerly. They knew him for their father, even before he shouted to them, and as they approached his voice was displeased. "'How now, children, what manners are these?' "'We have only been on the hillside, sweet father,' said Sis. "Dickon and I together, we thought no harm.' "'This is not Sheffield Chase, Sis, and thou art no more a child but a maiden who needs to be discreet, above all in these times. Whom did I see following you?' A poor woman whom—' Ha! where is she?' exclaimed Sis, suddenly perceiving that the woman seemed to have vanished. "'A troublesome begging woman who beset us with her wares,' said Dicken, "'and would give us no peace, praying that we would get them carried in to the Queen and her ladies, whining about her children till she made Sis soft-hearted. Where can she have hidden herself?' The man who was stationed as sentry at the gate said he had seen the woman come over the brow of the hill with Master Dickon and Mistress Cicely but that as they ran forward to meet Captain Talbot, she had disappeared amid the rocks and brushwood. "'Poor woman! she was afraid of our father,' said Cicely. "'I would we could see her again.' "'So would not I,' said Richard. "'It looks not well. And heed me well, children, there must be no more of these pranks, nor of wandering out of bounds or babbling with strangers. Go thou into thy mother, sis. She hath been in much trouble for thee.' Mistress Susan was unusually severe with the girl on the indiscretion of gadding in strange places "'with no better escort than Dickon, and of entering into conversation with unknown persons. "'Moreover, Cicely's hair, her shoes, and camlet riding-skirt were all so dank with dew "'that she was with difficulty made presentable by the time the horses were brought round. "'The Queen, who had not seen the girl that morning, made her come and ride near her.' Asking questions on the escapade, and giving one of her bewitching pathetic smiles, as she said how she envied the power of thus dancing out on the green sward, and breathing the free and fresh morning air. "'My Scottish blood loves the mountains, and bounds the more freely in the fresh breeze,' she said, gazing toward the peak. "'I love the scent of the dew. Didst thou get into trouble, child? Methought I had sounds of chiding.' "'It no fault of mine,' said Cis, inclined to complain when she found sympathy. "'The woman would speak to us.' "'What woman?' asked the Queen. "'A poor woman with a basket of wares, who prayed hard to be allowed to show them to your Grace, or some of the ladies. She said she had five sorely hungered children, and that she heard your Grace was a compassionate lady.' "'Woe is me! Compassion is full all that I am permitted to give,' said the Queen sadly. She brought trinkets to sell. What were her wares, says thou? I had no time to see Minnie said Cis. Something pure and white like a new-laid egg I saw, and a necklet clouded with beauteous purple. Aye, beads and bracelets, no doubt, said the Queen. Yes, beads and bracelets, returned Cicely, the soft chime of the Queen's Scottish accent, bringing back to her that the woman had twice pressed on her beads and bracelets she dwelt on them said the queen lightly "I, i know the chant of the poor folk who ever hover about our outskirts and hopes to sell their country geegaws beads and bracelets collars and pins little guessing that she whom they seek is poorer than themselves mayhap our argus-eyed lord may yet let the poor dame within his fence and we may be able to gratify their longing for these same purple and white beads and bracelets Meantime the party were riding on, intending to dine at Buxton, which meant to reach it by noonday. The tall roof of the great hall erected by the earl over the baths was already coming in sight, and by and by they would look into the valley. The Why, after coming down one of those lovely deep ravines to be found in all mountainous countries, here flowed through a more open space, part of which had been artificially levelled, but which was covered with buildings rising out amongst the rocks and trees. Most conspicuous among them was a large freshly built erection in Tudor architecture, with a wide portal arch, and five separate gables starting from one central building, which bore a large clock tower and was decorated at every corner with a Talbot's stout and sturdy form. This was the great hall built by the present earl george and containing five baths intending to serve separately for each sex gentle and simple with one special bath reserved for the sole use of the more distinguished visitors besides this at no great distance was the earl's own mansion a very goodly house four square four stories high with stables offices and all the requisites of a nobleman's establishment and this was to be the lodging of the scottish queen Farther off was another house which had been built by permission of the Earl, under the auspices of Dr. Jones, probably one of the first of the long series of physicians who have made it their business to enhance the fame of the watering-places where they have set up their staff. This was the great hostel, or lodging-house, for the patients of condition who resorted to the Healing Springs, and nestled here and there among the rocks were cottages which accommodated, after a fashion, the poorer sort who might drag themselves to the spot in the hope of washing away their rheumatic pains and other infirmities in a distant and magnificent way like some of the lesser german potentates the mighty lord of shrewsbury took toll from the visitors to his baths and this contributed to repair the ravages to his fortune caused by the maintenance of his royal captive arriving just at noontide the queen and her escort beheld a motley crowd dispersed about the sward on the banks of the river "'some playing at ball, others resting on benches "'or walking up and down in groups, "'exercise being recommended as part of the cure. "'All thronged together to watch the earl and his captive "'ride in with their suite, the household turning out to meet them, "'while foremost stood a dapper little figure "'with a short black cloak, a stiff round ruff, "'and a square berret cap, with a gold-headed cane in one hand "'and a paper in the other. "'Prepare thy patience, sis!' "'whispered Barbara Mowbray. "'Now shall we not be allowed to alight from our palfreys "'till we have heard his full welcome to my lord "'and all his plans for this place, "'how it is to be made a sanctuary for the sick "'during their abode there, "'for all causes saving sacrilege, treason, murder, "'burglary, and highway robbery, "'with a license to eat flesh on a Friday "'as long as they are drinking the waters.' It was as Mistress Mowbray said. Dr. Jones's harangue on the progress of Buxton and its prospects had always to be endured before any one was allowed to dismount. But royalty and nobility were inured to listening with good grace, and Mary, though wearied and aching, sat patiently in the hot sunshine, and was ready to declare that Buxton put her in good humour. In fact, the grandees and their immediate attendants endured with all the grace of good breeding but the farther from the scene of action the less was the patience and the more restless and confused the movements of the retinue and talbot hungry and eager had let his equally restless pony convey him he scarce knew where from his father's side when he saw making her way among the horses the very woman with the basket whom he had encountered at tideswell in the early morning how could she have gone such a distance in the time thought the boy and he presently caught the words addressed to one of the grooms of the Scottish Queen's suite. "'Let me show my poor beads and bracelets!' The Scotsman instantly made way for her, and she advanced to a wizened, thin, old Frenchman, Gorion, the Queen's surgeon, who jumped down from his horse, and was soon bending over her basket, exchanging whispers in the lowest possible tones.' but a surge among those in the rear drove Dickon up so near that he was absolutely certain they were speaking french as indeed he well knew that monsieur Gorian never could succeed in making himself understood in english the boy bred up in the perpetual caution and suspicion of sheffield was eager to denounce one who he was sure was a conspirator but he was hemmed in among horses and men so that he could not make his way out or see what was passing till suddenly there was a scattering to the right and left and a simultaneous shriek from the ladies in front when dickon could see anything his father was pressing forward to a group round some one prostrate on the ground before the horse and there were exclamations the poor young lady the chirurgeon to the front the queen is asking for you sir and cicely's horse with loose bridle passed before his eyes let me through let me through cried the boy it is my sister He threw his bridle to a groom, and, squeezing between horses and under elbows, succeeded in seeing Cis lying on the ground with her eyes shut and her head in his mother's lap, and the French surgeon bending over her. She gave a cry when he touched her arm, and he said something in his mixture of French and English which Dickon could not hear. The Queen stood close by, a good deal agitated, anxiously asking questions and throwing out her hands in her French fashion. Dickon, much frightened, struggled on, but only reached the party just as his father had gathered Cicely up in his arms to carry her upstairs. Dickon followed as closely as he could, but blindly in the crowd in a strange house, until he found himself in a long galley, shut out among various others of both sexes. "'Come, my masters and mistresses all,' said a voice of the seneschal. "'You had best to your chambers. There is naught for you to do here.' However, he allowed Dicken to remain leaning against the balustrade of the stairs, which led up outside the house, and in another minute his father came out. "'Ha! Dickon! that is well,' said he. "'No, thou canst not enter. They are about to undress, poor little sis. Nay, it seemed not to me that she was more hurt than thy mother could well have dealt with, but the French surgeon would thrust in, and the Queen would have it so. We will walk here in the court till we hear what he hath said of her.' How befell it, dost thou ask? Truly I can hardly tell, but I believe one of the Frenchman's horses got restless, either with a fly, or with standing so long to hear yonder leech's discourse. He must needs cut the beast with his rod, and so managed to hit White Posy, who starts aside, and Sis, sitting unheedfully on that new-fangled French saddle, was thrown in an instant. I shall laugh at her well for letting herself be thrown by a Frenchman with his switch, said Dickon. I hope the damage hath not been great, said his father, anxiously looking up the stair. Where was thou, Dick? I had lost sight of thee. I was seeking you, sir, for I had seen a strange sight, said Dick. That woman who spoke with us at Tideswell was here again. Yea, and she talked with the little old Frenchman that they call Gorion, the same that is with Sis now. She did! Folly boy! The fellow can hardly comprehend five words of plain English together, long as he hath been here one of the queen's women is gone in even now to interpret for him that i do what sir therefore did i marvel and sought to tell you what like was the woman demanded richard Dickens' description was lame and his father bade him hasten out of the court and fetch the woman if he could find her displaying her trinkets to the water-drinkers instructing him not to alarm her by peremptory commands but to give her hopes of a purchaser for her spars proud of the commission entrusted to him, the boy sallied forth, but though he wandered through all the groups on the sward, and encountered two tumblers and one puppet-show, besides a bear and a monkey, he utterly failed in finding the vendor of the beads and bracelets. End of chapter 13 Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama